thank you for this time once again. Lord, I pray for each one of us that is here today. Lord, I ask that uh, whatever our prayer request may be, that, Lord, as we lift these requests up to you, that you would answer, that you would respond, that you would show your, your love and your grace and your mercy and pour out your blessings on us as individuals and us collectively as a church. So, Lord, I pray now that as we go into this portion of our service where we look into your word, that you would open it up for us, teach it to us, and may we forever be changed because we have looked at it and allowed your Holy Spirit to teach us. So we thank you, Father. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you all be seated? Um, Back when I was about eight or nine years old, I guess, something happened. I've never forgotten it. Um, not sure of the age. I think I was about that old. Um, my brother and I had a new um, electric train set, and we were playing with it. And we left it in the floor in the living room and went into the den and were watching TV or something. My mother came through. She said, you guys need to clean that train up. I said, yes, we'll get it. And um, a little while later, my mother came back through again. She said, I want that train cleaned up. I said, yeah, I know. We'll we'll get it. Let us finish watching this show or something, you know. Came back a few minutes later, same thing. You know, you guys need to get this train cleaned up. Finally, she'd had about had it. She came in, and she says, I want the train cleaned up, and I'm not going to tell you again. And for some reason, I do not know to this day why I did this, but I said, well, good, because I'm tired of hearing it. Now, I remember that vividly. And I, and I don't have to tell you in any detail what happened next, I'm sure. Now, I know my mother loves me, but in that moment I was questioning that, I'm going to tell you. Um, because when the discipline hand came down, it hurt and it was painful. But, um, you know, when it comes to the subject of discipline and chastening, uh, the Bible teaches us that God does that to us too. He chastens and, and disciplines His children. And you need to understand something, that when it comes to this idea of the subject of God chastening his children, we're not, we're not looking at this from the aspect of punishment in the sense of God's trying to get even with you or God's trying to punish you for something. In the sense, it's more of like a parent to a child, that God is trying to straighten something out. In my case, my mother wanted to straighten out my smart mouth, you know, and she did. It didn't happen again. In our case as believers, God's trying to straighten something out. Because God has our best at heart. God loves us and God wants what is best for us. And the Bible teaches, he said, look, I began a good work in you. He said, I'm going to continue doing it. I'm going to continue working on you until I come back to get you one way or the other. And so you need to understand that when it comes to God's um, the sense of judgment or God's hand coming down on us, it doesn't cease to be painful either way. But it's the motivation behind it. And as we think about that, we can see this in Scripture because it's taught to us. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, it says this, Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Now, every one of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, and as I look out here, I think every one of you have, Uh, those of you that I I am aware of, I think all of you have. And so it's telling us here, excuse me, I've got a little cold here, that the Lord disciplines those that he loves, which those are us, and he chastens everyone that he accepts as his child. Down in verse 11, it says this, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Notice that. It's not pleasant. It's painful. 
Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Now, he's telling you something you need to be aware of. That when we talk about discipline and chastening, we're not in any way minimizing the painfulness of it. Because there are times in life when God moves into our lives. And God begins to discipline and correct us in, in ways I'm not even going to go into. There are any number of ways in which you may choose to do that. But there are times when it is painful. It is not pleasant. But it has a purpose because God's trying to change something about you to bring you back into the realm of acting righteously, it says. So that's the reason. And again, it's just like a parent you do to your children, your mom and dad did to you probably. Now, the reason that's important is because there's a great misunderstanding, I believe, uh, among people today concerning God's chastening. And it has, been, it has led to a lot of misconceptions about God. Because we tend to view God as somebody that's just a benevolent being that gives out good things to his people. And if anything bad ever happens, then it can't be from God. It has to be from the devil because everything bad comes from the devil, everything good comes from God. And what you see in Scripture is something quite different. Because when God chastens, when God deals with the, in the lives of his children, sometimes that is painful and sometimes it's not good. And so we cannot say biblically that every good thing comes from God and every bad thing comes from the devil because sometimes out of love God disciplines his children. Now, the reason I'm bringing that up is because in this particular book, the book of Jonah, this series we're going through, Jonah is a perfect example of God disciplining or chastening his child. This man is a prophet of God, and God is dealing with him in a way in which he is disciplining him to bring about change. He wants something to change in the life of Jonah, therefore he's doing what he has done, and it's painful. Beyond measure, it is painful. And we look at this and we think to ourselves, how could God ever do that to his prophet, somebody that he loves? But yet he does. And when, when you and I, and we will, find ourselves in the middle of God's chastening hand, because there will be times in our lives where God does something or brings something into our lives to discipline or correct us. And I told you last week, I believe that when God does this, God makes it evident that in your heart you'll just know. Jonah knew, you know, there was no question. And I believe that God's going to lay that on your heart someday, that you're going to know that the reason you're going through this terrible ordeal in life, and again, it's not everything that is the reason, you know, that you go through. This is not every reason you go through, but a terrible ordeal. But sometimes it is. And because when that happens, God's going to tell you and show you that you're going through this for a reason and you need to learn something. And something needs to change, something needs to give. And so whenever you find yourself in the belly of the whale, I want you to remember these things that we're going to talk about today because I'm going to share with you six things that are true about this idea of God's discipline. And whenever you find yourself in that situation and you know beyond any doubt that this is the reason why God's put you here, then you need to understand and remember these six things, okay, because it is going to be very difficult for you. To think, think clearly during that time, to think biblically during that time. And you're going to conclude or come to some conclusions that are not biblical about how God thinks about you, how he feels about you, and why you're going through what you're going through. 
And so as we look at these today, I want you to understand that some of the things we believe when it comes to the subject matter isn't really, they're not really true. But as we look at these, hopefully it'll bring your, give you some perspective on the subject of God's discipline in, the, in our lives. So let me jump right in, okay? As you can tell, I'm struggling to try to keep from coughing here, so just bear with me, all right? Number one, here's the first one. The trial that you now face just might be God protecting you. This is an important point when it comes to the things that you go through in life. Whether it's disciplining or not, this is something that I want to bring out here. Because what you may be going through, be it a horrible situation, um, a difficult time in your life, something you don't want, but yet it still might be God sent for a reason because God's trying to protect you from something worse. Now let me read you these verses. Jonah, I want to go back to the last verse of chapter 1. It says in verse 17 of chapter 1, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So God provided, and I note that, he provided a fish to swallow Jonah once he was thrown into the ocean. Let me read you the next two verses of chapter 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Now here's the question, okay? Now think about this with me. The men throw Jonah into the ocean, into the storm, and I guess he's bobbing like a cork out there, and the whale comes, we'll call it a whale, you know, fish, whale, whatever. We've all learned it, Jonah and the whale. The whale comes along and swallows him, and the question is this, what would have happened to Jonah if the whale had not come along? What would have happened to him? He would have died. He would have gone down like a rock in no time flat. It says here in this passage, and I thought it was kind of interesting, in, back in chapter 1, verse 17, it says, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. It was almost like God did him a favor, the way it reads. God provided this for you, Jonah, so you wouldn't drown. And I know that in the belly of the whale, you may think this is the worst possible situation you could be in, but you need to understand something. Dying would have been worse. And so God is giving you the opportunity to change. God is giving you a second chance. And he says here, he said, I was in the belly of the whale and I prayed to God. You would not have had that opportunity had you died. A lot of times in life we go through situations where we look at these situations and we think to ourselves, it couldn't possibly be any worse. And God says to you and me, yeah, it could. It could be a whole lot worse. And you need to understand that what I am doing in your life and what I brought into your life is in a way a provision for you. Because something far worse could have happened. You know, there are times that I've, we've talked about whenever we uh, have gone into prisons. And I've talked to a lot of prisoners over the years. And I've had several of them on occasion to tell me this. They've said this. They said that we'll be talking. And I'll ask them usually, what are you in there for? They tell us not to do it, but I always think it's a good icebreaker, you know, a good way to talk to somebody. Tell me what's going on. Why are you in here? Let's talk about it. So they'll usually tell me, uh, this is what I did, and they'll hang their heads in their shame. And then there have been several occasions where they've looked back up at me and looked at me in the face, and they said, Dave, now let me tell you something. If God hadn't put me here, I would probably be dead by now. 
if God hadn't put me here, I'd be strung out on drugs or I'd be somewhere doing such and such or wouldn't have gotten out of the gang. But because God put me here, I found the Lord. And because God put me here, I've had to settle down, take a look at my life. Now, this is probably being in prison, if you've ever been in there, um, the worst situation we could think of, to be locked up in a prison. But these guys are telling me that God provided the jail, the prison, so that I could have a second chance. And see, sometimes God brings things into our lives. How many times have you heard people say, I broke my leg or I broke my arm or hurt my back and I went to the doctor and they ran all these tests and they found out I've also got a tumor I didn't know about. The worst thing that could possibly happen to us, we think we're in the pits, and all of a sudden we discover that God provided the accident so the doctors could find the tumor and deal with that. And there are some times when God does things that just seem horrible to us. And God, we, we ask ourselves, Lord, why are we going through this? And, and it may just be that God has provided this situation for you so that you could have the opportunity for a second chance, an opportunity to get it right, an opportunity to repent, because things could be, could be a lot worse. There's an interesting verse. It's in Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 1. Look at what it says now. It's a little bit different because it talks about somebody dying here. But it says, The righteous perish, die, and no one takes it to heart. The devout are taken away, and no one understands that the righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. The righteous sometimes are taken away, die, to be spared from something far worse. Uh, what could be par- possibly worse than that, we think? You know, that's the end. But I guess there are fates worse than death. And there are times when God makes provision. And it may seem terribly bad at the time when God says to you and me, just trust me because I'm going to take you through this and I'm protecting you. In Jonah's situation, the whale was a protection for this man until he got his mind straightened out. Until God got his attention, until he repented, until, until he finally made a change. And so you and I need to be looking at that as well. And not everything that happens that is bad or difficult or unpleasant is because God doesn't love you or God hates you or whatever. And this is part of the misconception. We arrive at these conclusions, and they're really not biblical. And we're going to be talking about them here in a moment. Number two, here's the second thing that I want you to remember. That you are never so far from God that he won't listen to your plea. You are never so far away from God, spiritually or physically. You know, in Jonah's case, he's trying to physically get away from God. Some of us, it seems like we go the opposite direction trying to get away from God. And we get off into all kinds of things. And then we say to ourselves, you know, God couldn't possibly hear me over here. Or God couldn't, couldn't get me over here. You know, but what you find is that's not true. Let me show you in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. We're going to look at these again. He says, From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord. And he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Now, the realm of the dead doesn't mean that he had died. He's praying from wherever he was. It just is a reference to, I'm as good as dead. I'm inside the belly of a whale. I'm a goner. But I'm praying to God. And he says, and I remember, he's writing this after the fact. 
He says, you listened. You heard me. About as far away from you as I possibly could be. And yet you heard me when I called out to you. How many times I've talked to people and their response to their life when I talk to them is this. Pastor, I'm about as so far away from God as a man or a woman could possibly be. You have no idea what I've done. You have no idea what I've experienced. You have no idea about who I really am. And I'm telling you that I am so far away from God that God doesn't care. That God won't hear. That God won't listen to me. God's turned his back on me. And guys, that's not true. See, that's one of those misconceptions that we have because of whatever we feel, whatever we think, or whatever we've been told. Because more often than not, we've been told that God doesn't. Because how could God possibly hear your pleas, your prayers, when you live the way you do? And nothing could be further from the truth. You see, we as God's children need to understand something. And this is who I'm talking to today. I'm talking to believers. I'm, I, that's my target audience here, okay? You and I need to understand something. God does not want revenge on you. That is so important that you understand that. God doesn't want revenge. Revenge took place and was satisfied at the cross. God said, whatever anger I have toward mankind, I dealt with it at the cross and I poured it out on my son. Therefore, I can love you now. And I'm not out to try to get revenge on you. What I am out to do, what I'm about is this, that I'm trying to seek change in you. I want you to change. You know, I want you to grow. I want you to become obedient. I want you to express faith. I want to see you become more like me. And I know you're out there in the whale's belly somewhere thinking you're far away from God, that I can't hear you, but I'm always listening. And when a person has a repentant heart, my ears perk up. And I hear you. Now, guys, please understand this, that no matter where you are and how far away from God you are, God always hears that prayer. How how far are you? Think about this. How far away from God do you feel you are right now? And I'll bet you it's going to change and be different for each one of us. And my advice, my plea to you is that you trust in the truth of Scripture and not in how you feel. Because when you're living in sin and rebellion against God, the God who saved you, you are going to feel guilty. You're going to feel as though he's not listening or that he cares. And this is where you have to go back now, look at the scripture, and see from examples like this and from other things that are stated like in the New Testament that talk about this and understand that God always hears me because God cares about you. And that there's never a situation or a reason why God is ever going to turn his back on you and not listen. And guys, that says a lot. It says a lot. Here's the third thing that I want you to, to understand. I've got six of these to get through, so let me move fast, okay? No matter what you have done, God never left you. God never left you. You need to understand this. I think sometimes we believe that we are so wicked and so sinful and so dirty and so disgusting because of something in our lives that has happened that God packed up and left. And the Bible doesn't teach that. 
Look at this portion of the scripture in verses 5 through 8. I'm sorry, back up. Verses 3 through 4. He says, You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. You did it, God, he says. You hurled me. And the currents swirled about me, and your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again towards your holy temple. All right, here I am in the belly of the whale, about as far away from you as I can get, and I have concluded that you have banished me. You've turned your back on me, you have forsaken me, you have done away with me, and I've had it. He says, but yet, he said, I'm still going to look. I'm going to come to you one more time. I'm going to ask. I'm going to see what happens, no matter what. And so he looked again, and you know what he says? He says, you're still there. You're still there. After all I've done, and after all that has happened, you are still there. And you've got to understand this. As Jonah writes this years, maybe after the, the fact, as he's recalling this, he's just probably sitting there weeping and crying and worshiping God, saying, you didn't abandon me. You didn't leave me. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you've done. I don't know what you're feeling so guilty for. I don't know what God is trying to change about you, but you do. And so to you, I would say this. That when you find yourself in a situation where you think God has turned his back on you, that God's not listening to you because of something in your life, that you turn to God yet one more time, like he says here, yet one more time, I will look again toward your holy temple. Why the holy temple? Because that's where the Holy of Holies was. That's where the Jews, their concept, their understanding that God dwells there. At the, in the mercy seat, he said, I'm looking back and I'm pleading on, based on that again. Here's what you need to do. You need to confess. And you need to repent. See, God's given you a second chance, another chance to get it right. And God didn't go anywhere. You did. God didn't move. And, and it doesn't matter what you've done. God never moved. But back up and get it right. Back up and repent. Here's the fourth thing. No matter what you think, God still loves you. God still loves you. Now think about where we are. Let me run through these to kind of bring us up to speed. Number one was the trial that you face may just be God protecting you. You need to understand that. Look at something and you say, okay, what could, how could it be worse? God is protecting me. The second one, no matter how far you are, God won't, there's never going to be a situation where you're so far that God will not listen. The third one, no matter what you've done, God never left you. And now the fourth one, no matter what you think, God still loves you. Now watch this passage of Scripture. We're in verses 5 through 8. He says, The engulfing waters threatened me, and the deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. The roots of the mountains, I sank down. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you. Lord, I, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. 
He says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Now, here's what I want you to see, okay? He's giving you the account of how he felt, what happened to him, where he went. He says, I sank down. Now, he's in the belly of the whale. The, dip, the whale probably takes a nosedive. He said, I went down to the bottom of the mountains in the ocean. He said, we are in the deep, deepest deep. You're asking, you know, thinking, how can somebody stay alive and all that? I don't know. It doesn't matter. God miraculously did it. But he says from there, from the, 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 the depths of that situation, from the pit, I prayed to you and you brought me out of it. Now what I want you to see is this last verse, in verse 8. He makes this statement. He says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Now don't miss this, okay? He's saying something here. He's saying, look, he said, I've concluded, I've come to this realization that even somebody who's into idol worship, in order for them to do this, they have to turn away from God's love for them in order to worship their idols because God still loves them even when they worship idols. Guys, let me tell you something. Whatever it is in your life that has become your idol, that thing in your life, that sinful practice, that little secret, whatever it may be, that whatever that idol is, you do these things and then you think to yourself that God couldn't possibly love me. And somehow, I don't know what it is, it's like a, a vicious circle we get in. I commit a sin, I feel guilty, and my conclusion is God's turned his back and God doesn't love me because that only makes sense. And so because I believe that, I walk further and further away from God. And he's saying, look, when you turn around, there he is still loving you. And if you're going to continue doing this, you still have to, you're going to continue to turn your back on him because he's going to keep loving you no matter what. I don't know what you're doing, okay? I don't know where you are in life. I don't know what you're going through. And your life may, in your eyes, be falling apart, but you need to understand something. That God still loves you. He never stopped. My sin is not bigger than God's love. And see, sometimes we think that. Pastor, you don't know. I've done something. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. You just fill in the blank. I'm guilty of. Name it. doesn't matter. God still loves you. And because God loves you, God is probably going to chasten you to get you to turn around. And maybe you're in the middle of that. And I believe this is why the Bible talks about the way of the, the transgressor, transgressor is so hard. Because we're trying to go against what God has determined is right for us. And you can't do it. So again, what do you do? Well, you've got to continue to believe, regardless of the circumstances and regardless of how you feel. You've got to come back to the Scripture and base what you Believe in how you respond on that truth. I believe that even in the middle of my worst sinfulness, God still hears me, God never left me, and God still loves me. And because of that, see, in my thinking, this is the, the motivation to turn. 
If I think God has abandoned me, God doesn't care and God doesn't love me, then I'll go find somebody in the world over here that does. And so I'll fall in with them. But if I understand that in the middle of my rebellion, He still loves me, at some point that love is going to break through. And at some point I'm going to repent. At some point I'm going to come back. And at some point I'm going to straighten it out. And that really brings me to point number five. And that is that you and I need to make a fresh start. We need to make a fresh start. I want you to look at this passage here with me. It's in the second chapter here in Jonah, verses 9 and 10. He says this, But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And then in verse 10, the end of the chapter, it says, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now what is happening with Jonah as he sits there in the belly of the whale? He says, But with shouts of grateful praise, I will sacrifice to you. I'll worship you, he says. He's pleading. He's saying, Lord, I'm I'm sorry. I was wrong. I've sinned. I will worship you. I will serve you. And here, well, note this, what he says. He says, what I have vowed to you as I sit here in this stinking fish, he said, I'll do it. I'll do it. He said, whatever I have promised you, I will do. And guys, let me tell you, he's praising God, he's worshiping God, he's committing to change, and he's saying to God, I'll follow through. And that's when the fish vomited him out. And God said, okay, fresh start, okay? Let's start over. Now I've got your attention. Here's what I want you to do. He said, I'll do it. And let me tell you guys, so many times that's what it takes for our hard hearts to melt. And we can think about marital problems and immorality and uh, tempers and stealing and lying and cheating and all the things that we as human beings do. And, and God says, no, that's not acceptable. You're my child. And so I'm going to send the whale into your life. And so the whale comes in. And whatever that may be, God says, here it is until you change. And we're so stubborn, we will continue on down that path until it gets worse and worse. Because remember, God has started something in your life, and he's not stopping. Don't miss this. God says, what I started, I'm going to continue. I'm changing you, whether you like it or not. Guys, we don't have a choice in this. What we do have a choice in is how we're going to respond. And I believe with all my heart that you and I need to make fresh starts on a number of areas in our lives. Things that are in our lives that God has pointed out that need to change. You and I need to stand up and say to God, yep, I'm guilty. I have done this. I'm guilty of this. And Lord, I'm going to make commitments to you. That I'm going to commit to change. I'm going to commit to be a different person, a different husband, a different wife a different parent, a different Christian, a different church member. I'm going to do what you've told me to do in so many areas of my life. And I've told you before, this is a process. 
takes you forever, you know, to do this. Your whole entire life is a growing process. But there's where you need to be. Because, see, when you're there, then God says you don't need a whale. You're moving in the right direction. One last thing that I want to bring up or share with you as far as how to deal with these situations. Number six, to be a witness to God's love and grace. You and I need to be a witness to this. We need to testify to this. Look at verse 9, the last part of this. He says that I will, now after he's pledged to do all these things, he said, here's what I'm going to do. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Now in this situation, he's probably just talking about deliverance. Not being saved like we think of being saved. He's talking about when you're in a situation and you need God to respond, let me tell you something. I'm going to testify and tell people, and I will be the first to tell them, Lord, that deliverance comes from you. Now, guys, listen, because if you think about this, if Jonah is indeed the the author of this book, and we all believe that he is, why would he put himself in such a terrible light? If it wasn't true. Because he is testifying and telling people, here's who I was, here's what I did, and here's what happened to me. He said, because I want you to understand how it is that God works in the life of his children. And I don't want you to make those same mistakes. Tell your story. Tell who you are, what's happened to you, and the kind of person you were that nobody knew about. And give testimony to God and praise to God for what he's done and is doing now. I think that one of the great deterrents to living in a disobedience is for me to keep bringing that up and showing people my own weakness. To show people and talk about these are the things that I've struggled with. These are my sins. These are the things that we all deal with. Because when you do, there's a certain humbling that comes along. You and I need to be open to that. And we need to stop being concerned about, well, it's going to make me look bad. Well, you know what? You are. You were. You did. But God moved in. Now tell people. Because it's not about you. It's not glorifying your sin. It's testifying to what God did to you and with you. So I want to encourage you, each and every one of you, that you be ready and willing to share how God spit you out on the coastline, how God redeemed you, how God delivered you from what you're going through, how God moved in your life, okay? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. You know, if you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, it begins with that, this relationship. And God says, if you come to me and put your faith and belief in what I've done for you, then I'll give you as a free gift eternal life. Jesus died for you. Believe it and be saved. For all of us that are believers, as we sit here thinking about our lives and sit here thinking about what we're going through, there might be some whales in our lives. God's discipline, God's chastening. What are you going to do? Are you just going to go for the rest of your life in the belly of the whale? Why don't you deal with this? Why don't you confess this to God, repent, and get turned around here and make a fresh start? Don't live the rest of your life in that situation. 
start over. Because you see, because God didn't leave you, because God does hear you, because God does love you, every one of us can make a fresh start. Every one of us. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for grace. We thank you for your mercy. Father, we thank you for loving us when we don't deserve it. But you are committed to us even when we're not committed to you. And Lord, we're thankful for that. And we praise you and we lift you up and we we worship you because of that. And Father, I pray that every one of us, once we have been turned around in our lives and got it straightened out, that we would give testimony to this grace and this mercy that we would boldly proclaim what you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.